0: This episode of the Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm, and also by TrekFan. TrekFan isn't just a Star Trek fan club; it's a challenge. You will explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. And in the spirit of an enlightened future, Trek Fan is absolutely free. Not just free to play, but completely free. Find out more by visiting fm.trekfan.org. I'm Jeff Combs.
1: I'm everywhere on Star Trek. And you keep tuning in to Trek FM.
0: Welcome to The Ready Room, show number 146. We've all done The Scarecrow. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Charlene Schmidt. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news, including new covers for Kirsten Byers' Voyager novels, how Data became a Federation citizen, and a proposed perfect retcon to Star Trek Into the Darkness. Then in the feature, we're joined by Suzanne Abbott and Scott Hertzog of the Sci-Fi Diner, to discuss the voyager episode death wish so let's step into the ready room Hello, Char. Welcome back to the Ready Room. It's Voyager week. So, of course, you're here, but you're looking a little bit different this week. Are those some new ocular implants that you're sporting?
2: Well, hang on just one second. Let me adjust something really quick so I can really put you into focus. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Wow. Yeah. I see the viewers yes, moving. Of fact. Just like Jordy, yes, yeah. I had ocular implant surgery a couple of weeks ago, and everything went perfectly. And I now see twenty twenty and never have to worry about glasses or contacts wow. ever again. Although I, I, you know, I might regret this in the future, but I didn't go for quite as deluxe of a model as Jordy had, because he had like the super zoom and the infrared and the night vision. Right. Yeah. I didn't go for that. Detailed of a package. It was really expensive.
0: Well, that was probably not covered by your insurance, right?
2: Oh, well, no. None of it was covered by insurance. They consider it an elective surgery, so that that wasn't the issue.
0: Well, I'm glad it worked out for you and you're seeing well. As some listeners know, I'm going to be having eye surgery at some point in the future because even with a contact, I can barely see out of one eye right now.
2: Yeah, that's not good.
0: Thanks to a cataract. So anyway, it's good to hear how that worked out for you. So I'm yes, glad you're I seeing. Yes, I hope your implant well.
2: surgery goes just as well.
0: I hope so. Well, now that you have 2020 vision without any glasses or contact, char you can really appreciate what's in our first news story for today. Indeed, these are new covers from Crosscult, the Star Trek book publisher in Germany, for the German editions of Kirsten Byers. Full Circle, and Unworthy. And I covered this yesterday on Hyper Channel, but I'm putting it in the ready room today just specifically because you're here and as one of the co-hosts <laughs> of our Voyager show To The Journey. To the I journey. wanted to know... To The Journey! New listeners will not know what that means, but go listen to To The Journey and then you'll get it. You'll figure sure. it out really quickly. You'll figure yes. it out quickly here on the network. I wanted to know what you thought about these covers that feature Tom and Bellana.
2: You know, these are very different from what we see in the U.S., and I actually like these a little better. First off, they have a little more color to them. They have more detail, but yeah. then they've got faces on them, whereas the covers here in the States, they all have a ship of some sort. Now, yeah, they, they
0: tend to have, have ships too. more often than faces. Sometimes they have faces, but...
2: Yeah, but the newer ones have really all been just ships, whereas this has a nice little hybrid. You have a face, and you've got some ships. You've got kind of the planetary background and a little bit of uh, just a little more of a color variance as well. And mm-hmm. what's really interesting is uh, with this cover with Tom Paris it is the refitted Voyager. Yeah. With the slipstream nacelles. And uh, as Daniel Pru will appreciate, they are a little more ample now.
0: They are more ample, aren't they? Yes. What do you think about this ship? I'm personally not a fan of the Voyager refit. I think that it moves it one step closer to being like the Enterprise-E. That's exactly what it reminds me of. It just kind of lost its character of what Voyager was.
2: You know, I don't know if it was just all these years of seeing Voyager in a certain state that makes this look strange, but I'm not really a fan either. I don't think the bigger nacelles look right. It looks really imbalanced. Plus, on the cover, though, here's maybe a redeeming factor. It looks like Voyager is midway going through a barrel roll.
0: The barrel roll. The barrel roll. <laughs> maybe it does, doesn't it? It's just
2: about to embark. Yeah, it's just tilted a little bit. It's gonna do a barrel
0: roll. It does. So, Cross Colt, here's an idea for you. Please make this a holographic cover where, when you tilt it, you know the the image changes with the light. Yes, and then I, I want to see the ship actually do the barrel roll on the cover. That would be awesome.
2: You know what? If they do that, I will take back all the negative feedback on the Voyager refit. I will love it.
0: I'll I'll buy the book if they do that, even though my ability to read German is fairly limited. I would still <laughs> yeah, buy it. Just, just put it on the desk and, and play with it.
2: Yeah, totally. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> worth it. Totally worth it. Now, what do you think of them?
0: Well, I like these covers. Now, I talk about Cross Cult's covers pretty often. On Literary Treks, we talk about them every time they release a new one because they. this is standard for what they do. They take the books that have been released in the U.S., and when they publish them in Germany, they do these much more detailed artistic covers for them. You can go back and you can look at a lot of the DS9 novels as well, which have great images of Kira, for example, just like they have Tom and Bellana here. Uh, you know, scenes of Cardassia, all sorts of things. They just do really, really nice covers. And while I'm not a fan of the Voyager refit here, they also have, the one with Balana has the USS Plank, which was done by Mark Rademacher, who's the artist who did the, the NASA Warp Ship rendition that's mm-hmm. been going around everywhere as well. Yeah, that's cool. He did cool. this one for the Ships of the Line calendar back in 2012. And... It's a really nice combination that merges sort of the 24th century streamlined hull and saucer design that we've seen in a lot of ships, mm-hmm. starting with, well, really starting with Voyager, then into the Enterprise E and into the Aventine and other ships. But it has this sort of homage to the 23rd century with the boxy cells like we had on the Enterprise refit and on the Reliant and other ships of that time period. It's a really nice design. I like that ship. And you can see other ships in the background as well uh, in this in these covers in the scene of space. So they're really, really nice. The German edition of Full Circle will be out in October, and the German edition of Unworthy will be out in March of 2015. So that's when you'll be able to pick up these books. But just really nice design. And yeah, I was glad to get your thoughts on them as a Voyager fan and as host (laughs) of our Voyager show.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, these are very cool.
0: Really nice. And I guess we should also mention you get to see Tom and Bellana in the First Contact slash later DS9 era uniforms.
2: This is true. Yes. And I believe another cover did this. Uh, earlier, maybe mm. homecoming where they have Admiral Janeway
0: right, yeah, that's, that's very right. cool, too. that is pretty nice well let 's take a break from news for a moment, Shar, before we go into the next story to tell everyone about our first sponsor for today 's show, and this is Trek fan, and you were with me actually a couple of weeks ago when we welcomed Trek fan back to the show, and we talked about Starfleet Academy. Where you can actually get a free Star Trek novel from them, we'll just send it to you. you review it, you give it to a friend, and you just send the review back to them. really great thing they have going there, but they have a lot of other stuff going at Trek fan as well. It's a fan club, but it's not an ordinary fan club it's a challenge it's a place where you can explore new places and learn new things, and you can collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real life mission objectives, and win great prizes. One of the other things they have going besides Starfleet Academy are their qualification programs, and they have one for flight operations, they have one for engineering, and they have one for communications. Hmm. And, Shar, you, you and I, we're normal Star Trek fans, right? We, <laughs> we, we watch Star Trek and we sit behind a microphone and talk about it.
2: <laughs> yes, that's what we do. Is that normal?
0: Well, I think that's normal. Yes, I think that is normal. normal. Well, maybe not the sitting behind microphones part, but the sitting around and talking about it. Yes. But has Star Trek ever inspired you to do other things like learn to fly an airplane, for example?
2: Well, you know what? When I was 10 years old, I wanted to be an astronaut because of Star Trek. And then I realized I had not nearly enough aptitude at math and was not going to re- achieve the high level that I would need to do to understand things like physics. And uh, yeah, that is why I now work as a designer.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just like me, right? Yes I, mean, I, yes, I didn't want to be an astronaut when I was a kid, although I would love to visit the stars. Well, if you do have an inclination to, say, learn to fly an airplane or do other engineering tasks, TrekFan can help you out with that. In fact samuel cummings of livonia michigan he just got his technician license thanks to the program and Teresa watkins of atlanta she got her flight operations challenge taken care of a couple of weeks ago all thanks to TrekFan. so these are ordinary star trek fans char like you and me jumping into action and making their dreams come true thanks to the programs that trek fan offers and best of all TrekFan is free. It's free to join. All you need to do is to go to fm.trekfan.org and you can find out about all the things that they have going on over there. And you can sign up and you can become a member and you can take advantage. You can be challenged. You're going to meet other fans near you. It's a really great way to take your love for Star Trek and, and put it into action. So go find out what's there fm.trekfan.org, that's a special URL that lets them know that you heard about it here on the Ready Room and on the network. So be sure to use that and go find out what they're doing over there. It's, it's really a cool club they have going, a really great yeah, idea. Really. And we really thank yeah. Trekfan for their support of the show and the network. All right, Char, let's jump back into some more stories here. And this one, it's not a news story per se. It's actually an article on IO9 by Rhea Misra. And it's referring to another article that they had published by Catherine Trendacosta. And that article was called why being a person doesn't matter if you're not a citizen. And in that article, they used the image of Riker from the measure of a man holding data's arm. And they also used an image of the holographic doctor, Hmm. but what they're getting at, of course, were were rights, you know, for Mm -hmm. people who aren't citizens. And, This is an interesting one for me, too, actually, because I live in a country where I'm not a citizen. Yeah. I'm a permanent resident. I don't need a visa or anything like that to be here, but I can't vote because I'm not a citizen. So I don't have all the same rights as everyone else around me. And, you know, how I address that is something that I have to think about over time. But this article was interesting because it actually moved Melinda Snodgrass Who is the person who wrote The Measure of a Man, to respond to the article, and she addressed a couple of possible paths for how Data could become a citizen of the Federation.
2: This is interesting. First off, she says it's fascinating, which in pure Vulcan speak... You know, <laughs> I, I don't did know she if that arch was an her eyebrow
0: as she was typing it, Char.
2: I don't know. I, I I'd like to think that she did. <laughs> I'd like to did. think that was done very intentionally. Yeah. Um. She's she uh said that she never reached the issue of citizenship with the episode in and of itself, but then after reading this article, she kind of found herself questioning. Well, in the context of the Federation, what does citizenship mean? And she saw two potential solutions for. How you could gain citizenship. And one of those is to be the natural born citizen, where you're just born into a federation world. And, you know, that's because how most of us are. your parent get ours. is a
0: citizen as well. Right. In that case. Because she talks about how if Noonie and Soong were a citizen, which he was, he created data. Therefore, he is data's father. I'm doing air quotes here. <laughs> and therefore, data is a citizen.
2: Right. And the other option is that. Data's service in Starfleet would grant him citizenship into the Federation mm-hmm. after, you know, a certain amount of time, five years or something like that. And so, uh, you know, either explanation works in my mind. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think both of those work. Definitely. The natural born approach that she talks about is certainly one that I have thought of and that makes perfect sense to me. The one about military service is one that I had not thought of before. She mentioned it here, but that definitely makes sense that that would be the case. I have a third one that she doesn't mention here in the article, which would be the case here in Japan. Maybe Data, because of his abilities as an android, is really, really good at soccer. And maybe they're going to (laughs) compete in the Quadrant Cup. And they, the Federation wants Data to be on their team for the Quadrant Cup so that they can finally beat the Klingons. And and yes, I know Kronos is located in the Beta Quadrant, but they, they do compete. You know, they're near the border. <laughs> and so maybe that's it. And therefore Data got citizenship because he was a good soccer player. Uh,
2: yeah, I'm sure he would do just fine. And you know what? Honestly, if that was the reason, so be it. So be it.
0: So be it. Whatever the path is, you get there. So. Right. This was an interesting thing that I came across though. And as I said, it's interesting to me because I live in a country where I'm not a citizen. And it's also because I really never thought about whether or not data was a federation citizen and how he became a citizen because he's a machine It's easy if if it's someone who's a biological life form because you have to be born, so you have to have parents. Mm -hmm. And naturally, that citizenship gets passed along. And so I hadn't really thought about it, certainly in The Measure of a Man, which, as Snodgrass points out, was really Dred Scott in space. It was the Dred Scott Mm -hmm. decision set against Star Trek. And that's why she never addressed the issue of citizenship directly. But, of course, if Data's a citizen... Starfleet shouldn't be able to infringe upon his rights like that in the first place. And certainly, it's just wrong what they were doing. But of course, that's part of the point of the episode.
2: It's true. Yeah, but this facet of it is something I hadn't really thought much about. I just assumed Data was a Federation citizen and did not even begin to consider any uh, of this part of the can of worms. Yeah. That... Uh, data's sentience or not, depending on how you want to define it as a as a person, uh what it would do. What mm-hmm. would be the ramifications of that? So this is a nice kind of re examination of the episode. Makes you think and I'm gonna see it in a completely different light now.
0: And particularly nice that the author of The Measure of a Man responded and these are her her thoughts directly because they tie in so yeah, well with the character.
2: Definitely. Very
0: cool. All right. So we'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. It's over on io9. We're going to put a link to the article where Melinda replied. Well, actually, where they excerpted, because what she did is she commented on the original article. But there's a link in that article where you can click through if you want to read what prompted her response in the first place. So, Char, next I want to tell everyone about a promotion that we're going to run because all of this talk about TNG brings me to this special promotion that we're going to run from starting now as this show drops to the end of July. Now, we often ask listeners to leave us reviews in iTunes. And while many of you do, and we really appreciate that, we get very few reviews relative to the number of people who we know are listening and who talk to us on social media. And we understand, of course, that it takes some extra time to visit iTunes and now Stitcher because you can leave reviews there as well to write the reviews because usually you're listening while you're commuting or you're working or, you know, you're doing other things. You're not there at the keyboard, so you can't leave a review. So we understand that. But reviews are really important to us. It's not only because we love hearing from you and what you think about the show, because certainly we love hearing that, but... Reviews also impact on how we place in iTunes and on Stitcher and how people are able to find the show. So leaving us a review helps us out as well in making sure that other Star Trek fans can find the content so that we can grow our audience. And we want to give you some incentive to take a few moments, because it doesn't take long, but it does take some effort, to go over to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a review of the track of film shows that you listen to. So if you leave us a review between now and the end of July, you can win some great prizes from Trek FM. And these include a season of Star Trek of your choice on Blu-ray or DVD, an official Starships collection ship from Japan that actually has the magazine in Japanese. It's a nice collector's item for those of you outside of Japan. Also, some Star Trek novels and a full collection of our alien art badges. These are some of the things that we will give away. Winners will be drawn at random from all entries received before midnight Pacific time on July 31st. And I'm choosing Pacific time just to give everyone in the States all the way to midnight on the mainland. (laughs) Sorry, Hawaiian listeners. (laughs) So all you need to do to enter is to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes and or Stitcher. Now, you don't have to do both. If you only listen to us on Stitcher, then review us there. If you only listen to us on iTunes, then just review us there. But if you want to do both, you can, because each time you leave a review, you will get an entry into the drawing. So the more reviews you leave, the more entries you get, the better your chance of winning. Now, you can only leave one review per show, of course, but you can review multiple shows. So if you listen to The Ready Room and To The Journey and The Orb and Standard Orbit, you can review all those shows. And that'll get you an entry for each one of those. Now, a star rating alone won't work. It does need to be a written review because we have no way of knowing who left a star rating. Those just go up there. So it does need to be a written review. But that's the stipulation. Now, there are two steps to this, however, how you have to enter. First, go to iTunes and or Stitcher and leave a review for the show. Second, visit trek.fm slash review and complete the form that you'll find there. We need to be able to match you up with the reviews that you leave because all we can see is your screen name in iTunes or Stitcher. And of course, we need to be able to know who you are first because your screen name may be different there than it is on Twitter or somewhere else. And also, we need to know how to contact you and we need to know how to thank you. So there will be a form there, and you'll be asked to provide your full real name, your contact email so that we can get in touch with you, your Twitter username if you have one, the screen name that you use in iTunes and or on Stitcher so that we can match you up to the review. Also, let us know which shows you reviewed and the country of the iTunes store in which you left the review. And that's important because you actually have to go to every single different iTunes store in order to see reviews. Uh, There is no universal way for Apple to let us know what those are. So we will ask you to give us that information at trek.fm slash review. And that's all you need to do. Now, there may be some limitations on prizes, and we'll keep you up to date on those on the page. And we also may add new prizes along the way. So check that page to keep tabs on what's available. And... One note about Stitcher, how you leave a review, because it's not very easy to find. It's a new feature they have on there. Go to the show page on Stitcher, scroll to the bottom past the section that says Recent Episodes, and then you'll see a link at the bottom that lets you leave a review. So that's how you find it on Stitcher. iTunes is pretty self-explanatory. So we look forward to hearing from you, and thank you in advance for your support. And uh, we look forward to sharing some of these prizes with you as well. Again, the deadline on this is midnight pacific time on July 31st. All right, so we have one more story in news today, Shar, and this relates to Khan and Star <laughs> Trek Into Darkness. This is an article on Tor.com by Emily Asher Perrin called The Perfect Retcon to Star Trek Into Darkness. She starts out the article by saying, Star Trek Into Darkness showed up on Netflix recently, and I decided to watch it again, against my better judgment. And there are still some fun moments in that thing. But overall, it's really disheartening. And then she goes into the problems primarily as they relate to Khan. So what does she have to say about Khan here?
2: Well, she says that her biggest complaint is that they whitewash the character. Obviously, this is not a person of Indian descent. And of course, yes, Ricardo Montalban was a Mexican playing an Indian, blah, blah, blah. Yes, we all know this. But... In her opinion, that really just changes everything. Yeah. And no matter how good the performance of Benedict Cumberbatch, she just really can't get past that. And I don't think this bothered me as much as it bothered her, but I know a lot of people feel this way. So she's far from the only one.
0: Yeah, I I, I think that if you know the history, which we've talked about here on the network many times, we've had John Tenuto on many shows, and we've really gone in-depth into it, If you know the history of the character of Akan, it's easier to reconcile why he could be Caucasian and not be Indian descent. And and, and it works. And then in the comics, they've kind of explained it a little bit as well. And those comics were overseen by the people who wrote Into Darkness. So that's there as well. But for me, you know, it didn't really, it didn't bother me really that he was a Caucasian. Uh, They, they, There's a story behind why that might be the case. But it did bother a lot of people, as you say, and it bothered her. And she's looking for a way to retcon it so that it makes sense. And she's outlined something here that I think we've talked about before, because I know that Matthew and John and I definitely have come up with this same scenario. And probably talked about it at length on literary treks and maybe on a past ready room as well when we did a con special. With John. But this is the idea that maybe this character isn't Khan in the first Mm -hmm. place, or at least wasn't supposed to be Khan. Now, Orsi and Kurtzman have admitted that they decided later on that the character could be Khan as they were going through the scripting process. And she says that makes sense of the problem. The character wasn't conceptualized as Khan. Later on, they basically just added a couple of lines and a Nimoy cameo to legitimize the alteration. I don't know. I think that's an oversimplification of what they did. There's too much in there related to Khan and the number of people that would have been on the crew and just kind of the whole concept of the cryogenics and all for it to be that simple, to just legitimize a previous decision that they made. However, I will say that the story, you could take that stuff out and the story would work really well and possibly better if he weren't Khan. It's true. But what she says is that what if it turned out that this man was not Khan? Then all of his behaviors in the film would suddenly ring more true. And what she's getting at there is that maybe one of the other augments that was frozen was Khan. And that this person that they thought out wasn't actually Khan, and he just assumed the identity of Khan. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the idea that we have talked about before. And mm-hmm. it would have been an interesting twist on the story. I actually think it would have been a better twist on the story, which then leads into what she says. But better yet, we would also know that Khan was still out there somewhere. And that would always be hanging over our heads, a perfectly poised hammer ready for whenever he was needed.
2: Tell you what, that is pretty smart. And that would explain the whole John Harrison thing yeah. a lot better than the the real movie. <laughs> so I kind of dig this, and I think I'm going to put it into my fanon.
0: Okay. Is that going to be is, – is it your headcanon now, or is this something head like cannon. I mean, I, there's separate so many... from headcanon for you?
2: Headcanon, fanon, I mean, whatever we want to call it these days, it's just – it's there. Okay. That is the way it is. This is what happened now. It makes good sense.
0: It does make good sense. And I think it it would make the story work a little bit better for other people. Um, again, I personally not bothered by the fact that Khan's in the movie. The movie was actually really interesting to me until halfway through when they turned it into a rehash of The Wrath of Khan. And then <laughs> that character became far less interesting to me. And that's why actually the character was fine. Let's just not make him Khan and then mm-hmm. maybe have a better movie. The only thing that I don't agree with here is that she says that he's out there somewhere just waiting for whenever he was needed. That implies that they would bring Khan back in at some point in the future, which is mm-hmm. something that I just want to see them do original stories. I don't really need to see
2: right. the characters come back. So. I don't want to see the real Khan in Star Trek. Well, they're calling it Star Trek 3, but you know how I feel about that. You feel the same way. It's Star Trek 2016. We already had yeah. Star Trek three. That right. was 30 years ago, guys.
0: That's right. That's why I marked it out in the image I made and posted on our <laughs> Facebook page.
2: I appreciate you doing that.
0: Yeah. All right. So we'll put a link to this article anyway in the show notes, and you can go read it and let us know what you think about it. You'll find us on Twitter. TrekFM is our username. Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We're over there as well. You can reach Char and me both at uh, both of those places. So... Let us know what you think about it. All right, Char. Well, that's all we have in news today. But before we go into the feature, where we're going to be joined by Suzanne Abbott and Scott Herzog of the Sci-Fi Diner to talk about the Voyager episode, Death Wish, we want to tell everyone about our other sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. Audible is the best source for audiobooks that you'll find anywhere, which we tell you every week. And I really mean it. I've been a customer for 14 years. I have hundreds of Audible books in my library and as a Trek FM listener you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying audible and what we like to do every week is to recommend a book for you to pick up as your free audiobook and as this is a Star Trek show we look for Star Trek titles and char we're going to be talking about John DeLancey in the feature today of course because we're talking about Q of and course. Death Wish and i understand that you have a Q book that you really enjoyed that you'd like to recommend
2: Yeah, absolutely. I remember reading this book way back when, when it first came out, probably a good 20 years ago. Now you can still get it on uh, Audible in audio form, and that is Q-squared. It's written by Peter David, um, one of the, probably the most popular Star Trek writers out there. And it's narrated by John Delancey, so you know it's going to be fun and good. And the story itself is pretty freaking interesting because it is a Q story. But it's not just about Q, either.
0: That's right. This is a story that is part of the retconning of Trelane from the Squire of Gothos as a Q. And in this book, Peter David brings Q and Trelane together. And Jean-Luc Picard is there as well, because, of course, this is a TNG book. Yes. And in this case, Q has come to warn Picard about Trelane, because Trelane, another member of the Continuum as it's explained, has tapped into this very, very powerful energy source that has made him more powerful than the entire continuum combined. And Q is warning Picard that Trelane has become a very, very dangerous person because of this, and that it's not just the Enterprise that's at stake, but actually the entire galaxy and the universe Really, all of creation is in danger because of Trelane.
2: What is more powerful than the continuum? Well, you have to read it and, well, you have to listen and find out. <laughs> There's always a
0: bigger continuum, Char. Sure. Apparently,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, this is a very good story, though. Very entertaining. And if you are a fan of Q, I highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, it's a great one. I, I had it in hardcover and I read it that way. And then I had the audiobook Before I was an Audible customer, I had it on audio tape and I would play it in the car and I just wore out those tapes. So (laughs) I recommend this one as well. It's a really fine cue book for you. And as I mentioned, as a Trek Film listener, you can get a free audio book. For trying out Audible, so you can pick up Q Squared by Peter David, or any other book that you like, and all you need to do is to go to audibletrial.com/trekfilm and sign up. If at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep this book. But by trying Audible, you're really helping us here at the network. If just one of you tries Audible, we receive money from them that almost covers the cost of hosting and distributing the ready room for one entire month. So it's just a simple act on your part, but it really Really does help us here at Treka Film to keep the ready room going every week. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Film. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. When Voyager premiered, it seemed a given that the fan-favorite Q would turn up on the series. But the producers were cautious in using John Delancey's character yet again. As loved as Q was, he always ran the risk of being a one-verse song played over and over. His single appearance on Deep Space Nine highlighted this. But the door to Q's return was finally opened by an unexpected hand, that of Michael Piller's son Sean. Having overheard his dad pondering the problem, he began pitching the idea that became Death Wish. And from this idea grew one of the most poignant Q episodes in all of Star Trek. And today we're going to explore this story that at long last gave us some insight into the nature of the Q continuum whilst tackling the very difficult issue of assisted suicide. And to help us do this, we're joined once again by diehard Voyager fan. Although I think in this episode, her eyes were all on Commander William T. Riker, (laughs) Suzanne Abbott. Suzanne, welcome back.
3: Thank you for having me. I, they were only on Riker because their, Chakotay was in for like maybe two minutes. Oh, is that? That's not enough Chakotay time. All right. I needed more.
0: All right. You need more cocoa time.
3: <laughs> <All right.
0: laughs> oh, yeah. Well, also joining us for the first time on The Ready Room, but no stranger to podcasting, from the Sci-Fi Diner, it's Scott Hertzog. Scott, welcome to The Ready Room. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Finally, we've past ways on Twitter, talk to each other for years now. You've never been on the show, so I'm glad you're here today. I haven't been avoiding you, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So a quick synopsis of this episode, for those who haven't seen it in a long time, don't remember exactly what happened. It starts out fairly comedically with the cue, but with a twist. Voyager encounters a comet in space, they investigate, they beam someone aboard from the comet, and it turns out to be Q, but not the Q we know. It's another Q. Then our good old friend Q shows up, and a debate ensues over assisted suicide because this other Q, who eventually calls himself Quinn at the end of the episode, wants to die because he's tired of being immortal. And they hold a hearing for asylum, and we get to meet Riker, who Hmm. I mentioned earlier, that delighted Suzanne. And We get to see the Q continuum for the first time in a representation that is meant for our feeble human minds to comprehend. And we'll talk about that as we go along as well. And then when we reach the end, Janeway does ultimately, and I think a bit reluctantly, grant asylum. And we'll talk about that as well. And then Q goes on back to the continuum. That's just the episode in a really quick nutshell. So let's jump in here and talk about... Bringing Q on to Voyager. Before this episode aired, there were a lot of rumors about Q coming to Voyager, a Q episode being in the works, and I think it's something that a lot of fans wanted to see, and I think other fans, maybe like me, were a bit skeptical about bringing Q onto Voyager, and I wanted to hear from you guys your memories of when you saw this episode for the first time, especially if you saw it when it first aired. And what you remember about Q. Shar, since you're the host of our Voyager show to the journey, along with Tristan, of course. Yes. Gonna ask you to kick us off here.
2: Sure. And for the record, I did see this episode when it premiered in nineteen ninety-six, and I remember actually, let's put this in context before anything else, because this was not pre internet, but rumor mills did not work the same way. I mean, they were very scarce on the internet. You had Star Trek Communicator to let you know what was coming up, and they would only give you the tiniest snippets of what was coming ahead. So the biggest preview for Q coming on Voyager was a TV Guide article, because they did an interview Mm -hmm. with Kate Mulgrew and John DeLancey, nice little photo op, nice interview, and that was the preview for Death Wish. And I was so excited because I was ecstatic that Q is going to be on Voyager.
0: So, Char, you're telling me apparently you were not on CompuServe with me talking about this.
2: I was never on CompuServe. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I did do the AOL chat board. I was on Prodigy for a little while. I was on
3: every single one of them but CompuServe.
0: All right. Well, Suzanne, how about you? Uh,
3: I actually remember that TV Guide uh episode. cover and I believe I still have it in a closet me too
2: closet? I have it downstairs Suzanne, it's framed
0: on your wall right behind you over your bed I can see oh, it right now
3: stop pointing that out to people sorry. Chris
0: I'm sorry <laughs> well it's just the shrine is
2: right there
3: <laughs> it is it is I was really excited that Q was going to be on Voyager I couldn't wait to see how he was going to interact with the crew and, and hoped it wasn't completely like he interacted with Jean-Luc and everyone on mm-hmm. the Enterprise I wanted something different
1: what about you, Scott? Well, I am a relatively newcomer when it comes to Trek. I didn't really watch any Trek series till about three years ago. And then I started with Next Generation and so obviously encountered Q there. And so I did not know what episodes who was appearing in until uh, Q appeared in Voyager, which was the second series that I watched after we were finishing Next Gen and when when he when he appeared on there, it was like, "I don't know, it was like a breath of fresh air, not in a bad way, just it was that sense of familiarity, someone that you connected to the other series, and uh I really enjoyed seeing him on, but I didn't have any knowledge of it when it first aired.
0: mm It's a really interesting point that you make there because they tried this with Deep Space Nine as well, which is why I was very skeptical about bringing Q on to Voyager." Early in Deep Space Nine, in the first season, they have the episode q And they brought Q and Vash both to the station. And I think it very much was, as you say, familiarity with another series. Like, hey fans, you know that Q character that you love from The Next Generation? Well, we have him here too. And it just didn't work. He had no chemistry with Cisco. John Delancey Avery Brooks didn't have the chemistry that Patrick Stewart and John Delancey have. And there was very little point to the character being in the episode because it wasn't even him that was causing the problem that was threatening the station in the first place. And I think it's one of the weakest episodes of Deep Space Nine. And so when I heard they were going to bring him on Voyager, my initial reaction was, okay, here we go. We're going to bring Q over here too because we've got to have Q in every Star Trek series. And thankfully, they never tried to bring him onto Enterprise. Surprised (laughs) that they didn't try to do that.
2: (laughs) That would have been really weird. I think two important things come into play. First is a good story. And with Q, it's usually a pretty decent one. But chemistry is the other big one that you mentioned, Chris. And... Uh, one of the things I learned in that TV Guide interview was that Kate Mulgrew and John DeLancey had been long friends way before this. So they definitely yeah, like had a friendship. 15 years
0: or so, I think, right?
2: Way back, way back.
0: Yeah. So that is the key. But they brought him on, and I was pleasantly surprised that he fit in really well in this episode. And they wrote a very good story. Sean Pillar did a great idea. He was 23 years old when he wrote this episode, which is amazing that he solved a problem that the other writers had been struggling with for years. How do we bring Q to Voyager? And how do we make a Q story that actually helps the character grow? That isn't yet another story of Q being the thorn in the side of our heroes. And he did it. It wasn't his first story ever pitched to Star Trek. He actually pitched the story that didn't get picked up, but the idea for it actually became Journey's End on the next generation, which is interesting because that dealt with Native Americans as well and is in a way a setup for Chicote on Voyager because it also tied into the Maquis storyline on Deep Space Nine with the Native Americans as well. So he did a really good job of crafting the story that brought us a deeper cue. And it's effective to the to the point where I remember the deeper moments for Q in this episode far more than I remember any of the comedic stuff up at the beginning. And as I was rewatching the episode, early on, Q is being his usual self, you know, his usual jokes and jabbing and arrogance. And I didn't remember there being that much of it in the episode. And then eventually it gets to the deeper moments. So let's talk about a deeper Q a little bit here and sky it was the connection was fresher in your mind having seen him on TNG and then seeing him in this Voyager episode how did you take the transition of what you had seen of him with Jean-Luc Picard and those stories and then what you saw here in Death Wish
1: I think um, as is mentioned many places on the internet and any place you can read it and some of what you've been discussing is you do see a very Serious side of Q are a more. Let me say this: a more serious side. There's still a little bit of comedy going on, but there's definitely a more serious side. And I would liked the story that bringing Q. Uh, how do you say this? But the when they brought Q on, there was a story that is really relevant to our lives. That it was kind of he was brought in on, and you know you could have brought multiple characters to tell the story, but. Uh, It certainly made it interesting to tell someone, to use someone that we've been used to as being maybe the comedic relief, uh, you know, twisting him a little bit, giving him a little bit of depth, certainly made him a bit more intriguing, at least to me as an audience watcher, because I'm, you know, I'm I'm expecting the comedy, I'm getting that, but suddenly I'm getting something different from Q. I'm getting uh, something that's um, a bit more uh, deeper, someone that's not just, it's not just shallow, it's not just all about him. It's uh, there's there's a higher moral issue here at stake that's creating uh, that is gathering my interest and keeping my interest in the show. And I like that. I like that about this episode. It, It
0: picked up a bit from All Good Things for me. That's a case where it felt like Q was doing something not entirely for himself, like he actually did care. I don't know if he cared about the future of humanity, but it seemed like he actually did care about Picard a bit and he was actually trying to help Picard I mean he he had screwed right. things up and he's trying to help out <laughs> Picard but there's some wonderful oh, moments between Q and Picard in All Good Things where we do see a deeper Q and some of my favorite dialogue actually in Star Trek is between Q and Picard and then we get a little bit of that here in Death Wish as well with the Janeway but especially between Q and Quinn mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Suzanne another thing that I'm curious about here is how we all feel whether we like this Deeper Q or we think he is really better used as comic relief how do you feel about Q what is he to you I
3: I, I actually liked him better as as being a little bit deeper mm-hmm. less shallow Um, he was still able to maintain his um comical tendencies with his one liners his zingers he kept getting them in there but I was also able to connect more with Q and the other Q, just because they were dealing with the outlawing of suicide, cruel and unusual treatment of prisoners, it's a lot of things that I could see myself dealing with or just humanity itself dealing Mm -hmm. with. So it helped me to understand them a little better.
2: Well, I pretty much agree with what Suzanne just said. That I kind of like a more deeper contemplative Q too. some of my favorite episodes from TNG, All Good Things, Tapestry... Where yeah, Q is still kind of funny, but it's way beyond that. It's not just comic relief, and he's either he's dealing with a very serious issue or he's helping somebody else deal with one. And uh, mm-hmm. what's great about this episode is it gives us a little insight into the Q continuum itself.
0: Yeah, and that was really I was very very happy to see that, and I and I like the take that they they did on the continuum of making it very abstract. And before we talk about the continuum, though, as we're talking about comic relief here, I did have a question that came up as I was watching it again. When this first aired, I was still very much like, you know, I loved Q's comedic nature and I loved his jabs and his one liners and just his silliness. And we get a lot of that in this episode and especially in the courtroom scene where he calls himself to the stand and then he's talking to himself and and then both cues (laughs) are responding to a question. And, but I'm curious, do you feel like that scene and the subject matter that they're dealing with would have been more effective without the silliness of two cues reacting to things or, or do you, do you, does it feel wrong to have cue there without those elements taking place?
2: I think it's the latter you really do need some comic elements because that's a part of who the character is and always has Mm -hmm. been. To make him completely serious would just not be cue, and we would have hated it.
3: Oh, definitely. And just, you needed that little bit of lightheartedness in there just so it didn't become such a downer episode. It's true. It would have been really heavy. You don't want to depress people.
1: Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I I think that you need when you're dealing with issues that are as deep as assisted suicide and uh, and it's complex with, uh, you know, prisoner treatment, you you need you need to tastefully in a way that doesn't belittle or or, or make light of the situation. um, Bring in just a little bit of lightness into an episode or you're going to have you're going to have people walking away saying wow that was a real heavy episode for star trek and even though star trek's known for its deep themes at times uh it certainly is not um you don't want to, you don't want to leave your uh audience <laughs> you know you know weighing heavy after an episode right otherwise this would have been
0: a deep space 9 episode where they they would have kept it <laughs> yeah. very heavy throughout <laughs> you're right
2: you're right
3: yeah you're right. yeah,
0: yeah. Which I like because, of course, DS9 is my favorite series. But for the general Star Trek fandom, I, I agree with you that, yeah, we need some of that comedic nature from Q here to pull the whole episode together. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they did a really good job of balancing it, I think, for the most part here. The the lightheartedness yeah. and the seriousness of the subject.
2: Yeah, they did a pretty decent job.
0: One other thing, Shard, that we were talking about on the other side of the room. The other side of the room is how Q approaches Janeway. And there's this line early on where she says we're lost in the Delta Quadrant. And he says, well, I guess that's what we get for having a woman in the captain's seat. And the look that Kate Mulgrew gives him is so awesome. (laughs) Just this stare. She's got the bun of steel going and the stare (laughs) of steel at the same time.
2: Only Q would not collapse and die from the collaboration of those two things just piercing his in his general direction yeah Yeah,
0: that's that's the look that she usually reserves only for space starbucks when they tell her that they are out of her favorite (laughs) coffee they only have
2: decaf yeah or neelix when he has his better than coffee substitute (laughs) yeah yeah
0: nothing you make is better than the original trust me (laughs)
2: seriously (laughs) (laughs) Truth. Yeah, you know, one thing that does kind of grate me is this approach that Q has to Janeway, if you want to call it that. Now, some would just flat out say that it's pure sexism, the way he's making these comments about women, or do the pants really fit and all that. I see that as unnecessary. Uh, I think, yes, it kind of falls in line with the way that a Q would behave, but do we really need that? I don't know. He didn't really do this to Jean-Luc, did he? In his own way? Well, No.
0: He wasn't trying to, to get in bed with Jean-Luc, at least not well, on screen. Now, there's that fan fiction <laughs> out there. Like, I,
2: was I say they did have a they bed scene, actually. Well, Maybe they did have a bed scene,
0: but not. he wasn't was like, not trying romantic. to actually get Jean-Luc in bed like he seems to be doing with Katie. Oh,
2: true, true. Jean-Luc, true. have my Well, baby. he didn't later want babies with Jean-Luc, either.
0: <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> so, okay, I guess there's that, but... I felt like that was a little bit too much and unnecessary and not, it doesn't contribute anything good to the Q humor.
3: If that makes sense. No, but it did give us plenty of, um, it gave us plenty of Janeway eye rolls. There were, co- oh, there yeah. really yeah. were. The second, so they just kept rolling <laughs> everywhere.
0: There were. What do you think about that Scott? Because I have a little bit different take on that, which maybe because I'm a man seeing it maybe a little bit differently. I'm not saying that he should be acting that way to her but I saw it a little bit different in terms of the character but what do you think about that? Wow,
1: uh got to watch what I say here. No. <laughs> you yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, no. You know, I guess for me it it was it was cute. But again, I'm not I'm not watching this from a, you know, through the lens of the feminine perspective. And so Right. I and I'm I'm looking at it saying, well this is kind of I guess the other question I have, and I don't rightly remember, did Q treat the other females that he encountered on Next Generation and maybe other episodes in a similar fashion? And if he did, then this is consistent with the Q character, whether or not we like it or not. I mean, Mm -hmm. characters we read in literature or that we see in TV shows, you know, they they create an archetype that, well, we may or may not like, but... Uh, So is this within the Q characters we've learned to understand him? And if so, it, it didn't, for me, it did not feel like it was out of place. Not that I, you know, condone or say this is, you know, this was right of Q. If anything, it played into the, the, huma- the, the, the reality that he is a fallible character, a character yeah. with flaws. And even though he's likes to think of himself as omnipotent and God of the universe in a sense, He is a very flawed god and very, um, we've seen that before, but you see it again through the evidence of the way he treats women.
2: That's a really good point, Scott.
0: Yeah, I'm more along those lines in my thinking as well. That I don't, I get the impression late, well, the scenes when he's with Janeway in her quarters and, and he's in her bed and such, you really, really get the feeling that he's, chasing her and although he did sweep Vash away and they went on their little adventure I, I would say you're right that he is typically probably condescending towards women but he's condescending towards everyone on the ship that's pretty much, true
3: yeah
0: especially Riker and Worf and everybody else but well
3: he turned Beverly into a dog but he
1: turned Beverly into a dog so <laughs> that's true yeah. could, could it could it be possible that what he's trying to do here is the same thing that some men do when they try to pick up a chick, right? Yeah, that's what I was or gonna pick say. Pick up yeah. a girl, that they that they're that they're just like he's going off the deep end and trying to do so in such a way that he thinks is impressing the girl, which obviously mm-hmm. is not impressing the girl uh because of where he wants us to lead yeah. and he's totally ineffectual in it. Exactly. Yes. Exactly.
0: That's where my that's what my view of it is. And that's what I see at the beginning of the episode, too, when he's making these comments to Janeway, that he's like this guy who he wants to pick up the girl, but he has no experience. He might be ancient, he might be omnipotent, but he has no skills for picking up girls and he doesn't know what to say to them. He's almost like he's like an omnipotent Geordie LaForge.
1: That's
2: almost what I was thinking. I was thinking more of an omnipotent adolescent because, for as powerful as Q are, they have a very immature view of things and very undeveloped sense of purpose.
0: And that's why the retconning of Trelaine as a Q works Mm -hmm. very well. Yes. But that's the impression I got. Like, he, like, exactly what Scott said. He thinks he's being impressive to Janeway, but he's really not. And (laughs) as a strong woman, she's looking at him like, I see right through what you're doing and you're really bad at it.
2: <laughs> yeah, for the record, that does not work.
0: That's right. And the other thing I think with the line about, that's what we get for putting a woman in the captain's is Remember, this is second season Voyager. This is still early on. And this oh. was the whole big, it's the first Star Trek series to have a female lead as the captain. And it might be just a little bit of, them commenting still on that concept that here you have an outside character coming in i mean it's silly if you think about it because obviously there are other starships with female captains and you can even go back in the timeline and see this and if you go back Mm -hmm. to enterprise the captain of the nxo2 was a woman so it doesn't really make sense on the timeline but i just feel a little bit like that could be like a little writing jab there because the writers do jab themselves and the series and the franchise from time to time. That's true. In the episodes. Yeah.
2: I still don't like it.
0: Well, no, and I can yeah. completely see. I mean, if I were a woman watching it, I would probably have the same reaction. So I understand that completely. Well, let's talk about the continuum itself and how they represented the continuum. This episode gives us our first look inside the continuum, or at least some representation of it that we can kind of comprehend, which is a apparently a, a long Street, a long road in the desert, which <laughs> reminded me of the time that I drove from Reno to Elko. And <laughs> I've nothing. done that drive. I know exactly <laughs> you what you that? mean. Oh, my God. Yes. There's. Nothing. But it's so yeah. awesome because the the Nevada Highway Patrol will pretty much let you go whatever speed you want most of the time. <laughs> yes, they will. So How you fast just can book you drive? it. <laughs> Straight line, book it through the desert. So it kind of reminded me of that. And and I think that little house there, I think I passed that place actually. And they they had the same pinball machine too. Yeah, the scarecrow
3: but- <laughs> is still there in
0: everything. <laughs> the scarecrow well, I've done the scarecrow. We've Char, all done you know. the
3: scarecrow. Everybody's done the scarecrow. But have you been the
0: dog? Apparently not. You notice when when Quinn says that and John Delancey's cue says, we've all done the scarecrow big deal. Before that, Quinn had said, I even did the dog. But Q didn't mention that. So it, it's almost like the dog is something that people don't want to try in the continuum. <laughs> like only a few select people will be the dog for a while.
3: Got to be really hardcore to be the I dog. I guess. <laughs> if you want to
2: call mm-hmm. it that.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what did you guys think about this representation of the continuum? We zoom in, we see, I, I like the sign that says never closes. Always There's open. There's the clock with no hands on it. Yes. The book with the old and the magazine with the new. And then, of course, they have them playing with the planets as as balls and such. But it was an interesting concept.
2: Yeah, I thought they did a really good job with this. I was fascinated by all these little details that they put in like how the croquet balls were little planets and uh the pinball machine it was the galaxy and you know they're flinging things about it like it's no big deal because to a cue that's exactly what it is that's what they do in a day and so I thought they nailed it
3: why was the scarecrow wearing a starfleet uniform I,
0: I so they could comprehend get past that, that, you know for a puny little, maybe minds. one day they could be the scarecrow
3: yeah I, okay mm-hmm. So I, where do I sign up
1: for that? <laughs> <laughs> I think that he, the fact that they were playing games with all these things is very representative of the queue we've obviously grown to know over the the episodes of Next Gen and then even the Voyager here a little bit. But the idea that they're just, everything's like fun and game and there's not seriousness and it seems to play into the queue mindset. And I, I think that uh, the way we see the continuum that we might think that okay Q as we know him is kind of an anomaly but it's, there seem to be suggesting that all oh, the continuum kind of runs under the same sort of happy go lucky philosophy let's not take anything too seriously ah it's just a game we're going to have fun with it the
0: the other thing along those lines like what is the nature of the continuum that i i thought was nicely done is that the man playing the pinball machine turns and looks and he has this really really fake smile
2: yeah And
0: it fit in really well with the theme of this episode, which is that the Q might be omnipotent, but it's not so great to be omnipotent. There are a number of themes running through here. Quinn himself feels like he's done everything he's going to achieve in his life. His life has run its course and he's ready to let go. And that would be hard to do if you live forever, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I often hear people say like, do you really want to live forever? Like, I don't want to live forever, No people say. Yeah. And also the idea that there it's like a facade, like the continuum is a facade. One thing that I've learned having lived in Japan for almost my entire adult life is that the impression that people have of Japan, especially tourists who come here for a week and go back, is that... Everyone in Japan is super nice and super polite all the time. And, and you get that impression on the surface. But if you actually live in the culture, you come to understand that it's largely a facade. Hmm. It's just that people are much, much more courteous. And we don't, we don't speak what's on our mind to anyone who passes by like people do in a lot of other cultures you keep it underneath and as a result the society runs very very smoothly because everyone is is more cordial in general but of course the drawback to that is that things do get pent up underneath and then sometimes they will erupt because you're you are kind of concealing uh, feelings a bit and i get that a bit here with the continuum when i watch this too is that the continuum wants to portray themselves in general as they're all powerful and all-knowing but they're actually just another culture that's Just very advanced, and so they seem magical and powerful to us. Quinn actually says this in the episode that you know you guys seem powerful to people who don't have your technology, and it's no different with us. And they did a, a good. This was a new take on the continuum, and they did a good job of exploring it. And I'm not to offend any Voyager fans here because I like Voyager as well, even though it's not my favorite series. I was a little bit surprised to see Voyager go here with the Continuum in the second season.
2: I'm not sure how to take that, Chris.
0: (laughs) Are those fighting words, Sean?
2: Maybe. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I think maybe you're not giving Voyager enough credit because when they do try to do something a little more serious, they they can do a good job. It's just Voyager, as uh, Larry always describes it, is the weird shit show. That's, that was the kind of idea that they were going well, to go with.
0: You know, Brandon Braga was known as the weird shit guy. Right. In the writer's room. So.
2: Right, which was a big part the of weird, Why Voyager. Weirdest part of the job. The weird shit yeah. show, yeah.
0: But no, I agree with you. They can do a very good job with it. They just don't do it as often as I would like them to do.
2: Yeah, this is true.
0: But at the same time, I mean, I have to give them credit early on. You know, Tuvix is another very good Deep episode oh, that, that episode. came before this, right? I believe so.
2: No, Tuvix aired after.
0: Tuvix aired after. What was the production order? Because this is one of those weird cases that we don't have much later in Star Trek where this episode was the 29th episode produced, but the 33rd episode aired in Voyager. So, But right around the same time, anyway, Tuvix was there as well. Another really good and deep exploration of of a difficult issue
2: yeah and certainly not every voyager episode is as thought-provoking as this one but i figure they went all out they were going to go with a q story and they figured they would better do a darn good job if they were going to do this and i feel like they did Mm -hmm. i feel like this actually is the best q outing of any of the Mm -hmm. appearances q makes on voyager
0: oh definitely yeah
3: well, and they were able to carry the repercussions from this episode yes. into the other Q episodes. Yeah. yes, And then therefore into the book. See, there mm-hmm. is
2: continuity on Voyager. There you go. You just gotta look a little sometimes, harder. Sometimes. Right,
0: right. Not as blatant. Not as blatant. Yeah, I. this is definitely Q's best appearance on Voyager no doubt. And the episode that I usually pair this one with in terms of Q episodes is Tapestry from The Next Generation. And what's interesting there is that You know, there's this thing with the Star Trek films that the odd number films are bad, right? And the even number films are good, which I don't completely agree with. But that's something Mm -hmm. people believe. And it's almost the case here where the Q episodes that don't have Q in the title are actually the best (laughs) Q episodes. Because the Q episodes that don't have Q in the title, Tapestry, All Good Things, Death Wish, are probably his three best episodes. Yeah, yeah. What about Encounter at Farpoint? Encounter at Farpoint. That's the other one. Right, Scott? Yeah. But Encounter at Farpoint, I don't think, is a great Q episode. It has no, been I improved agree. because of all good things and the fact that it loops back around and it ties in. Mm-hmm. But as a first outing, it's kind of meh. You know, well, we're just meeting him for the first time, so we don't really have anything to judge it against.
3: True. And at that point in my mind, he was still Eugene from Days of Our Lives. Why is Eugene on this? What's going on? You know,
2: I bet a lot of people felt that way when TNG just came on the air in 1987. (laughs) A lot of people knew him as that. And Jonathan Frakes, too. He was on some soap opera, wasn't he?
3: He was, and I can't remember yeah, which one it was. Yeah. I
2: can't either. It doesn't oh. occur to me, but he was a regular on some show, and i that's how my mom there knew him. There was no him.
3: beard, so I didn't pay attention.
2: She saw him on TNG, and she says, oh, that's so-and-so, whatever his character's name is. Like, <laughs> yeah. really? Oh, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> Not at the time, anyway.
0: Scott, do you have other thoughts on the continuum, presentation of the continuum?
1: No. I, again, I, I like the way they presented it, and I thought that it certainly you know anytime you uh get into what do you want to call where where are the continuum lives in the metaphysical realm and the yeah I the guess, outside yeah. the realm of our time whatever yeah uh, it's neat it's neat to see it's neat to see the representation like especially like as you mentioned like a road the idea of the endlessness of the road and this unending mm. course and kind of when you look behind you you can't see the beginnings of it although there has to be a beginning there somewhere and you look ahead and you can't see the ending although you know if you drive far enough there's going to be an end to it the queue is in, in a sense is viewed as immortal but there's uh there's a sense we get a sense of this longing for beginnings and endings both in Q kind of when to procreate with janeway and um, and then with Quinn wanting to be, end his life, or in this sense, as he becomes mortal in the end of the episode, to experience what it means to live with an end in sight. And so I thought that when we when we get when we see the universe or the metaphysical realm of the Q or the continuum, I thought it was very well done, and it captured it for me, and it was as good as any other facsimile of this universe that we could see. It was much better than the plain white fog
0: that we <laughs> typically get for the prophets oh, you know or it. for the sphere builders
1: yeah. or or whoever in Star Trek and science fiction. Yeah, even that episode with um, Picard and him when he's kind of in the metaphysical realm, it's just this white blob. Right, mm-hmm. right. That's right. true, yeah. 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 So th- this
0: was a very good take. Well, let's talk about the sort of the meat of the episode here, the moral dilemma that they're facing. There's this internal debate amongst the Q about the nature of their existence and where the continuum should go. And it's a science fiction spin on assisted suicide, primarily, although, Suzanne, as you mentioned earlier, it does also get into uh, treatment of prisoners as well. Mm -hmm. It gets into the rights of the individual, versus the society and such. One thing I remember is that this episode was written and aired generally around the same time that the whole Dr. Kevorkian thing was the big thing in the news yes. in the U.S. So Yes, it was. Assisted yes, suicide was. was a really hot topic at the time, although I, I never saw this as a ripped-from-the-headlines type of story by Star Trek because...
3: dun 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 dun-dun-dun-dun-dun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because... <laughs> I don't like it when TV shows do rip from the headlines things, but I never saw this one that way because even though Kevorkian was in the news at the time, that was an ongoing debate. You know, it wasn't something that just suddenly happened. And so, and, and it still goes on today as well. There's a lot of great dialogue in this episode about whether someone should be allowed to make their own choice if they want to end their lives. And it's presented here as the you have one member of the Q continuum wanting to let go. And then you have the continuum itself representing society is saying, you can't do this because if you do it, well, it has all these repercussions on us and the nature of our existence. That's sort of maybe a macrocosm for the real topic in real life, which is not so much the impact that it has on society as a whole. Although, there is an issue there, like if if it becomes a normal thing, what does that mean? But rather, what does it mean to the people close to that person? What does it mean to the loved ones and the family? And what impact does it have on them in particular? So they kind of expanded that out here to talk about the continuum. Shar, what what did you make of this discussion of it? And And do we think that the episode did a good job of actually addressing the issue itself?
2: I think... For one hour of TV, (laughs) they did the very best job that they absolutely could. I mean, it's really hard to tackle on a topic like this that is several points of view, is controversial, has no real right answer. And they presented, I feel, several points of view, made several good points in any way, shape, or form in, in favor. And then it does what All good Star Trek does and lets us... Think about it and leave us hanging. Essentially, mm-hmm. even though Quinn does die, oh, spoiler alert! Uh, <laughs> he ultimately does choose to take his life. The point was is that it got the ball rolling in your in your head, though. You know what I mean? You got to think about all these things. Yeah, does it should it be his decision, or is it too much for uh, because of societal impact, or you know, I mean you can really roll with this one for a long time.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a really difficult question. I mean, I've, I've personally been impacted by suicide and, and it happened not too long ago. And so I saw this episode many, many times before that ever affected my life. And then now I'm watching it, getting ready for this show. And so I have sort of different feelings towards it because of what uh, happened. And, you know, I don't know, like, I almost take the position that Janeway takes at the end, really, that it has to be the individual person's decision. But it's hard for me to say that too, because you know, I'm Mm -hmm. still, I'm still angry. You know, a couple years down the road about it, and I still feel it was a very selfish act. So I don't know that I could really uh, say that I think any person should have the right to choose that for themselves but at the same time I also believe that people do have the rights to choose the path for their own life so it's I, you really can't get a right or wrong answer on this in my exactly view. it's very difficult exactly
2: there is there are no mm. clear answers to a dilemma yeah. like this only outcomes which is what we saw I mean Janeway it didn't matter what she would have ruled in the hearing she was kind of damned no matter what she decided there is just no simple answer to this at all. Period.
0: Suzanne Janeway's your captain. What do you think about her decision?
3: I honestly don't know what decision I would make in that yeah. in her shoes. Um, I mean, we can actually feel better about euthanizing our our animals when they're sick when they're injured, yet we don't allow people that that same courtesy. Right, and why not? Someone with terminal cancer. Wh- why can't they choose? I want to go out this way on my terms instead of having having to have their family watch them disintegrate yeah. into nothing. Mm-hmm.
0: Another part of that too is there's a difference between someone who is terminally ill and their life the yes. quality of life has degraded to a point where they want to let go, in which case I would support their decision to let go. And there's a different thing when someone takes their own life because they're unhappy or they're tired or Mm -hmm. there's nothing actually wrong with them, but they just want to give up, which is what happened in my case. And that's very difficult to uh, come to terms with.
3: Unfortunately, mental health in our society isn't isn't treated as well as it should be. Oh,
2: definitely not. I think for Quinn... Being forced to live was worse for him than taking his own life. I mean, I think a lot of people who do commit suicide end up feeling that way because it, it's like the, it's an end to unlimited suffering. It, it, that's how they yeah. see it. Why continue in that misery? Death yeah. is the only other option.
1: In, in a lot of ways, I, I feel that Janeway kind of sidesteps the actual judgment by saying, yes he doesn't have to be immortal but he has to experience what it means to be mortal which yes does ultimately result in his death but it's not like when we think of suicide we see we think of something that's very cut and dry yeah i mean he doesn't yeah he cuz he doesn't die by the end of the episode am i correct about that or did i miss something
0: he's dying i think i don't think he's yeah i mean he's, he's going to die mortal, i mean they're not right? going to be able to bring him yeah. back
1: no Right. So, I mean, so in this case, it's not like uh, when we think of – when I think of suicide, it's a very final act. Like there's nothing like people don't commit suicide for years on end, which is in a sense what he is doing because he's become mortal, which granted is a very short time in the light of immortality. But I guess in his case, I do feel like if, since, this, since he's not suffering from a terminal illness like you were saying, Chris – uh, that there is a little bit of a cop out in Quinn, you know he's not willing to embrace the fact that you know part of being human is to experience suffering, to walk through it and to yeah. come out the other side of it. It is what makes us human. and so when people do opt out of life, uh, you, you you mentioned you know you felt like it was a very selfish act in the case of your friend and I under and I think there's a sense where suicide taking in that case feels very selfish to me it yeah. feels selfish to, to, to you it feels selfish, but in a case where someone is suffering, let's say it's cancer or some other terminal illness and it is their wish to pass on, and the family's kind of been brought in on that wish, and friends are kind of aware of that wish that's a whole, that's a little bit different of a ball game
0: right well, in my case, it, it actually wasn't a friend, it was actually my father, so it was really no very close to home in that sense.
1: Wow. Sorry. Um,
0: The one thing about what you say, Scott, with Quinn is that in Quinn's specific case, I think he, he, I mean, he makes the case that his life has run its course and he's ready to let go. But I think more than that is that he wants to affect change in the continuum as a whole. He sees himself as a martyr in a way that he wants to kill himself in order to force the rest of the continuum to look at the issue and to try to affect some sort of change so he's like a catalyst for what he cuz he actually they say in there he was one of the q continuum's greatest philosophers before they locked him away in that comet because he he wanted to kill himself that it, it seems like especially compared to John Delancey's Q, he's given much more thought to the nature of their existence and where their society should go than most of the other Q have. And so he is looking at this, not just like giving up and a cop out on a personal level, but that he thinks that his death would have greater meaning for the whole.
2: I think it's the one last thing that he could do that would actually make a difference In his mind, Mm -hmm. which I get, I think for the
3: betterment of the, yeah. And I think
2: that's another thing we can relate to, at least in our puny human little terms, um, (laughs) where, (laughs) you know, I can totally understand if somebody does find out they have a terminal illness and they want to get their affairs in order and decide when they want to die, because that's the last thing that you have control over in your life is how you die. I totally get it. And we spent a substantial amount of the episode trying to prove that Quinn was indeed suffering. Janeway bought it. So I'm going to side on that and say that, yes, Quinn
3: was suffering, just in a different way. I don't feel like it's a cop out at all. Hmm. And seeing the the comet that he was trapped in and everybody shoved in there and just no space. It was so claustrophobic. That, to me, was some of that suffering. Mm -hmm. Animal in a cage. Exactly.
0: Well, I felt that was a representation. Again, we've mentioned a couple of times, you know, treatment of prisoners and he's in that confined space. But beyond that, in a less literal sense here, that represented how someone with a terminal illness may feel. Mm-hmm. Like they're stuck mm-hmm. in a hospital bed. They may, Maybe they can't feed themselves. Maybe they can't speak. They're just being kept alive by machines. And but. Maybe they're aware of their surroundings, but they can't really interact. They can't do anything. Mm -hmm. It really would be like being trapped in that very small space that we saw them visit inside the comet.
2: Yeah, you're essentially relying on other people to take care of your most basic needs because you can no longer do them. You have Mm -hmm. outlived your usefulness in a way.
0: But beyond that, yeah. it's a sense of isolation as well because you're trapped inside. I mean, yeah, you can't really interact. Can someone else might be tending to you, but you can't really interact with them. So you really are isolated, as Quinn was
1: inside that comment.
2: Good point.
1: So do you think that do you think that people with uh, mental conditions that also feel trapped are you know they're going through extreme depression and also kind of, kind of this should also be afforded the right to then uh, take their lives?
2: It's a tough question.
1: It's really tough. I mean,
0: it has, but I think ultimately in that situation, I would see it as a family decision, an individual and a family decision. It's something that I don't think that the broader society needs to play a role in. Just like this here, we're talking about the continuum and this one person. So the continuum is the entire society. You know, it is a personal level. And I certainly, I certainly feel for anyone in that situation where they might have a mental illness like that where they do feel trapped and I can certainly understand how they would feel like a need to find a way out of that. Um and, and hopefully they would have loved ones around them to support that, which Quinn doesn't have in this episode, right? He's been chastised by the entire continuum, so he really is alone in that case.
2: It's true. And with mental illness, there is hopefully access to make things better, whether it's therapy, medications, a combination thereof and you always want to believe that that can get better, but you know what? That's not always the case. And I, as someone no. who has dealt with mental illness, I can say from experience: yes, you feel trapped. You see no and. Does it get better? It does, and it doesn't. It's it very complicated.
0: It just depends on the individual, right?
2: It does. It really does. It depends um. on what, who you are, how you're built, how you deal with things, mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. experiences. Uh, And the resources you have available to help deal with what you have been dealt. And unfortunately, access to good care is not nearly as good, at least in the U.S., as it should be. And a lot of people don't
3: get what they need at all. And oftentimes when they do, the medications that they're given often make it worse. That's
2: true. Side effects. You have to find the right medication, the right dosage. That's all a big crapshoot. And that can take months, maybe even years to figure out. It's a long, long process.
0: Well, let's shift back completely in universe uh, for a minute here (laughs) and just talk about the idea that the death of this 1Q would change the continuum. And, of course, we do see that moving forward that that happens. But Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Janeway addresses that at the end when she gives her summary she talks about how troubled she is by the fact that such a decision could change the nature of an entire society and whether it be a favorable or an unfavorable change, you know, we don't know how it's going to turn out. Just final thoughts on this topic of the continuum and just the idea that Quinn's actions here would change the continuum.
1: Well, anytime, in a literal sense, anytime someone's life is kind of snuffed out of existence, it changes the people around you. And so, I mean, he's obviously looking for something that's a greater change overall, which it does do to the continuum, but it also has that impact of, you know, my father died a year and a half ago and it was not suicide, but even the simple fact of death period changes, changes the people around them. And so the idea is not far-fetched, for him to believe that his death was going to change, especially his intentional death would change a continuum, uh, maybe much more so than even the gradual death period, because there wasn't really death in the continuum. Right. I mean, they were right. mortal. Right. And so the, so the fact that whether he dies naturally, suicide or whatever, the fact that a death occurs in the continuum is a new introduces a new a new pattern, a new wave, a new cog in the mechanism of the continuum. Now, they do mention that they had
0: put to death some cue in the past, but that was the decision of the continuum to do that for the greater good of the continuum.
1: Right, right. Yeah.
3: I thought it was kind of funny, even though I adore Captain Janeway, everything I have in me. She was worried about affecting the Continuum Society. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> She's done that so many times. The OCAMP, the people that had the 37s, yeah. Kazon, Hirogen. She affects societies everywhere she goes. Why was she so? Well, in that respect,
0: Janeway is very much like Kirk. She likes to quote Kirk a lot, and (laughs) the only difference is that Voyager doesn't have a cleanup ship flying behind it. It swoops in (laughs) to Ocampa or places like that to clean up. I thought Neelix's
3: ship came behind. Actually,
2: I thought it was Captain Braxton who was trying to fix all the timeline (laughs) problems. That's why he. Well, yeah. See, her her messes
0: are so much bigger than Kirk's that it requires a time ship. To fix them.
3: Right. <laughs> it's Because Janeway is a curse word in the Delta. Yes. yes.
0: No, I don't really think that about her. Her are not necessarily bigger than <laughs> Kirk's, but she does interfere with societies more in the way Kirk did as opposed to Picard. Definitely. Yeah.
2: Prime directive or not, how can you not have an impact simply by interacting with somebody? You know, right. you, you make an impression. An we impact. do that with people, yeah. whether you're passing them on the street or if you talk for two hours with them every single day. It happens. Yeah. We make an impact. Even if we think we don't, even if we think we are just small and insignificant in the grand scheme of things in your little corner, you are making a difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's
0: true. Well, let's talk about one last topic here before we close out. And this is unrelated to the moral dilemma of the episode. This goes back to Q being on Voyager in the first place. And one of the potential problems with having him on the show which is that, of course, Q could just snap his fingers and send Voyager back to Earth. And it's something that the writers were really concerned about as they were thinking about how to bring Q on Voyager and how it would work. And apparently John Delancey never thought it was really a big deal. He just said, I'll just say I can do it, but I won't. And problem solved right there. (laughs) I don't know how well that would have, have really worked now They do end up addressing it in the episode where the continuum is essentially going to bribe the judge with (laughs) with the promise of sending them back to Earth, which, of course, is not going to sit well with Janeway because she's just not going to stand for that kind of stuff. That's not her character. And there's the point where Q shows Janeway Earth outside the window. I never really thought about it much until today when I was watching it again. And I stopped to think for a minute that apparently Q actually transported Earth to the Delta Quadrant for a minute or two (laughs) and then transported it back to its actual location in the Alpha Quadrant. The reason I say this is because when he snaps his fingers, the flash covers the planet and the planet is gone again. And so I like now to picture... Everyone on Earth, at least people in observatories around the world, like panicking and running around (laughs) as suddenly the stars have changed. And where are we?
2: (laughs) This is awesome. I've never actually thought about this. But yes, he did bring Earth to the Delta Quadrant. You are right. Now, I wonder, did he freeze frame it, you know, so that people weren't aware that he had transported Earth or
0: he probably wiped their memory when they got back, you know, like they don't probably, remember Probably,
2: but I like your yeah. idea better where people are freaking out and what in the world just happened?
0: And the, the, the awesome thing is, though, it see. was for a very short time, but you know that CNN and Fox News and all these channels, oh, they yeah. had graphics and theme music ready for what if Earth gets displaced in space.
2: Disaster.
0: <laughs> so... What do you think about the way they addressed it here, though, having him come on, knowing going in that like it's going to be kind of weird because Q could just send them home.
3: But why would Q ever want to?
0: True. What Where, what, where would be the fun in that, right?
3: Yeah. And that's what he's about, mostly, is toying with people and, and making them come to conclusions on their own, choose the best
0: path. So John Delancey knew the character much better than the writers did, then?
3: Probably. Uh, yes. <laughs> he had more experience with it.
0: Well, once you've actually been on the set naked as the character.
3: That's
2: true. <laughs>
0: which he actually did. right? At one point. Yeah. He's like, just, just shoot it. <laughs> it, <doesn't laughs> it. Just shoot the scene. So, right. He hath no shame. On TNG. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I don't know. I didn't think too much about this element of the story because, yeah, of course he could do it, but. The big question is why? It's the so what factor. I'm glad they brought it up just to address it. But then it goes nowhere fast because, like you said, bribery is not going to go anywhere with Captain Janeway. But that is such a Q way to integrate this part of things into the story. Again, it's very immature and not very well thought out. That's that's kind of the way Q like to do things. And so, okay, it was what it was.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's immature, though. I mean, I can see the Continuum offering this because what does Voyager need more than anything? They need to get home. Mm -hmm. So, Coffee. Coffee. (laughs) Okay, after coffee, what do they need more than anything? (laughs) To get home. Chakotay.
2: (laughs) No, 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 Suzanne, these aren't about your needs.
0: (laughs) That's right. These are not your needs, Suzanne. Sorry, I got confused. These are Voyager's needs. So it, it was a very sensible offer by the continuum, but it just isn't something that Janeway, she's not going to compromise on that.
2: No, no, she's not going to do that. She's gonna, she wants to get home, but it's not the right way. Until season seven, of course, when she, we get the reversal of this, she yeah. says, Q, you know, you could get us home. And he says, oh, but what fun would that be? Mm-hmm. So there we go. That's the answer.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree. You know, and here, this plays into kind of my view, and maybe this is just my interpretation of Star Trek through the uh, series that I've watched. We rarely are given any sort of godlike answer to the problems that they are facing. Like, they have to figure out these issues and how to deal with them on their own, um, and maybe there are things that do conveniently happen, but nothing as major as let's send a ship from here to there just because you need to get home type of idea. And this plays into, you know, they are on a journey in are learning and the, the journey is part of the process of them learning and figuring out the problem of what does it take to get home. And uh, maybe uh, Q and one end kind of understands that and another end, he. Really, even at the end of this episode, is still responsible and just kind of is serving himself.
0: Yeah. So in the end, I think they handled it well. And then, of course, they played with it through the series with his other appearances. And like you said, Char, Janeway finally comes around at the end and is kind of ready to to be sent home. If if the price isn't too high, <laughs> I guess. It, she needed her coffee by then. Yeah. I mean, she wanted the real stuff. So. And
2: yeah, that replicated stuff just wasn't cutting it.
0: That's right. Nope. And and they never found uh Blue Mountain for that that no. famous <laughs> mythical planet with the best coffee beans.
2: It's not in the Delta quadrant. That's why.
0: Oh, that's why. Yeah, mapmaker screwed that one up. Mhm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, let's close out here with our final thoughts and our ratings on the episode. Shar, what are your final thoughts? And of course, your rating.
2: Okay. This is a fantastic episode. It definitely does go a little deeper than Voyager likes to do on average, I would say. Not only that, though, it brings up great ideas, which Voyager does do a lot. But beyond that, it follows through. That's where Voyager often fails. And I feel like this is a very good, complete, thought-provoking, well-done, all-around episode. And especially for a season two episode, it just doesn't get a whole lot better than this. For a first outing for Q on Voyager, they just went in gangbusters. And I just wish that they would have kept up this much intensity. I feel like with with each subsequent appearance, Q kind of gets a little more devalued as it goes on. So this is definitely the best outing and not to be missed. I'm going to give it 9.5 Scarecrows
0: oh wow Ooh. so so half a person is doing the Scarecrow right now?
2: the head's chopped off we don't know where it went
0: oh man wow this really did it's affect tough the love. continuum does, does the dog it? have yeah. a head? all kinds you. of crazy stuff happening, happening in the continuum now mm-hmm. wow alright well Suzanne how about you?
3: I really really enjoyed this episode it is one of my top five out of all, all of the Voyager episodes um, a great part in it you see Voyager as a Christmas tree ornament. Later that year, I got Voyager as a Christmas tree <laughs> ornament. It was wonderful.
0: And did you it stand by me, your tree and say, we're going to need a wider and, view? And yeah.
2: the <laughs> I know I've done that several times throughout the years. did uh, yeah. How did the
0: how did Just, ship's cameras give them a wider view of the tree that they're tethered to and then zoom around and give us all those cool angles as well? It's a fancy it camera.
3: Strange satellites that are following the ship.
0: I don't <laughs> <Okay>. know. <laughs> uh,
3: but it dealt really well with a deep issue, yet still keeping it a little lighthearted, so as not to bring down the viewer and just bum them out afterwards. Not enough Chakotay, but I do get a bearded Riker, which is always bonus points in an episode of anything.
0: Well, Suzanne, I have to stop you here. Now, are you also hot for Thaddeus Riker? No. Okay. <laughs> <None of. laughs> well, you realize if Thaddeus had died, if Quinn hadn't dragged him to safety, your your beloved William Riker would have never existed.
3: Oh, Imzadi. <laughs> Wait, is this
2: Suzanne or Deanna Troy? I am getting confused.
3: <laughs> but then we also wouldn't have Woodstock either, which, you know.
0: That's true. That's true. All right. So what's your rating? But,
3: um, my rating, my rating for this is going to be 1000 Janeway eye rolls. Wow.
0: Wow. It is the highest rating ever given on
1: the ready room. How about you, Scott? It's it hands down. Probably one of my favorite Voyager episodes. It may not be my most favorite, but I, it's just one of the, it's just a solid episode from beginning to end. The story holds. It, it, it makes you think. And, uh, Some of my favorite episodes of my favorite episodes of any TV show are episodes that we can walk away from and have deep conversations about. Maybe not come to any hard and fast conclusions, but they inspire us to be in conversation like we're having here tonight. And and I think that that's what makes Death Wish a phenomenal episode for me. And uh, and I, I, you know, I have to I have to give it four and a half endless roads out of five. Excellent. So, so that's an endless rating, right? It keeps going on forever. <laughs> right. It's endless. It's an that. eternal
0: rating. Eternal rating. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me as well, this is definitely one of my favorite Voyager episodes, and it's one of my favorite Star Trek episodes. It's up there in my top group of like these are the Star Trek episodes that everyone should see. They did a really great job with this story. And really I really applaud Sean Piller for coming up with this concept. At a young age, and it's such a deep issue. And as you saw from our discussion tonight, there's really no right or wrong answer, at least in my eyes, because I think it's a personal thing and it's it's something that you can definitely debate. And until it impacts you, you have one view. And once it impacts you, maybe you have another one and you can see a different side of it. But great episode. And the other thing that we didn't mention that I really liked Well, first, I applaud Voyager for actually going there and having Quinn commit suicide at the end and not Mm -hmm. having a happy ending where he becomes a member of the crew, even if they didn't actually have him on the show every week. But just the idea that he became a member of the crew and he kind of lived on as a mortal. I really applaud them for not going there and actually having him commit suicide. And I also love the fact that it was Q himself who gave him the poison because it showed that they wanted to grow Q's character through this episode and they did it. And you see it with the way that what Quinn says, and we didn't even go into Quinn's speech when they were in the continuum, which was a fantastic speech about the nature of society and, and individual rights and how things affect the society, but how that impacted John Delancey's Q and the fact that you could see it impacting him, after he had already had these other interactions with Quinn earlier in the episode. And then that he gives Quinn the poison at the end and he assists Quinn's suicide at the end was a really powerful ending. And I really appreciated that in the writing. So I'm going to give this episode nine guys in a Jeep. (laughs) Groovy. That's my rating. The guy in the Jeep. I love the delivery by John Galantz. great. Really great. All right. Well, Suzanne and Scott, thanks for joining us today for the discussion. Suzanne, before we go, awesome. tell people where they can find you around the interwebs if they want to talk Trek with you.
3: You can find me on the Twitter at Suzanne Abbott.
0: Excellent. And of course, they can find you on other shows here on the network as well. You're becoming a bit of a regular. Yay! <laughs> And Scott, tell everyone where they can find you and also tell everyone a little bit about your shows, the Sci-Fi Diner and the other things that you're doing as well.
1: Well, you can find me uh, on Twitter and on Facebook and you can just, and, uh, you know, I'm do, I do three shows uh, right now and that keeps me quite busy enough. Uh, And uh, not like you, Chris, but uh, three shows is busy busy enough for me. And I I do the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. I've been doing that for about five years now, and we're 210 episodes in and and plenty of other episodes that aren't counted in that number that we've we've done. And um, it's more of a general science fiction show. We do discuss Star Trek, but we also cover all sorts of science fiction, everything from Novelist down to fanfic, all the way to movies, and we do interviews with authors and actors and 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 all sorts of people along the road. So that's the one we've been that I've been a part of the longest. And then um, in uh, November last year, became part of a podcast called the Dune Saga Podcast. So if people are fans of the Dune universe, you can find us at dunesagapodcast.com, and there's links to all, all our social media sites there. Sci-Fi Diner, by the way, can be found at sci com. And then I'm also doing a new show that I launched where, not science fiction related at all, that really just takes an inside look at what it takes to bring podcasts like you're listening to here to life. And we look at some of the gear. It's called The Podcasting Gear Show. And, um, and we just kind of, and Chris has been gracious enough to be on a couple episodes with me. I have one more that I need to share with him on, but we talk about go-to-meeting, but... Uh, we do just discuss what, what are some things that make podcasts happen? We look at the gear and what different gear people are using. And it's just a lot of fun to get a peek behind the curtain and you can find out information about that at podcastingguru.com. Excellent.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. I had a a lot of fun talking software and tools and such with you on there. And I've gotten a lot of, of feedback on that episode too. People seem to enjoy it.
1: Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Very good. All right. Well, thanks again, Scott and Suzanne, for joining us today.
3: Oh, thank you for having
1: me. Yep. You're welcome.
2: Well, Chris, just like the episode, I feel like we had a very good, deep discussion with little bits of humor thrown in here and there and a solid discussion with, uh, with Scott Herzog, who it was nice to finally podcast with for the first time after years of listening to him. And then, of course, Suzanne as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we did have a good discussion, and I'm glad that we really got into the heart of that dilemma that they were facing, and and the issue there. And it's a very, very touchy subject, very much that we talked about. And of course, as I mentioned during the discussion, it's one that's very, very close and personal for me. So uh, it's made it's made this episode mean more to me mm. over time. I'm than, sure than it did even when it first aired and it was always one of my favorites uh, from the day that i first saw it so great on that but death wish it's not the only thing that we've been talking about here on trek fm so here's a quick look at some other things that you may have missed elsewhere on the network previously on trek.fm standard orbit with the slusho verse a lot of people are wondering is jj going to stick slusho into star wars <gasps> earl gray it's like Leroy Jenkins, you know. He comes running in. <laughs> Sir, there's another starship entering the zone. It's the Enterprise. <laughs> the Enterprise. The Orb. But the, here's the thing: they put themselves in a box with Dax. It's such a cool sci-fi concept to say that the
2: symbiont is the 300-year-old slug, and the outer host body, you know, they're they're
0: mixed together, and that the the host changes from the, the ready room.
3: I mean, what's the alternative if you're if you're not gonna do what, what Chris just suggested? I mean, what's he gonna do? Get down on his knees and say, oh emissary, I'm with you now. I mean <laughs> right, that's right. not really gonna work either, right? So Allow me to,
2: to ride my flaming chariot back to Starfleet.
0: To the journey!
3: I am
2: genuinely excited for this week's episode because we are doing a commentary on Threshold. Yes, you heard that right. Threshold, the infamous episode that everybody loves to hate, but I love to love it.
0: Warp five. But the fact that they had been in so many other shows before, <laughs> that they literally were pulling footage from Voyager to help flesh out that episode, I think it's sort of like, it's a it's an Easter egg and it's a theme and it's also literally pulling out of another show. Commentary, Trek Stars. I feel like he always had the sense that the younger generation had a, a much clearer sense of what the future was going to be like than, than sort of the, the previous one. Melodic Treks. And his
1: theme come on, and I just thought it brilliantly tied in with the original series, because these were the original series characters, but it was giving it a movie feel. And he just did a brilliant job on his composition.
0: Continuing mission. We have had long discussions in the office about how we can get an appropriate chair-sitting simulator into the game. Unfortunately, that's such a specific system that would really only be used by Riker. Literary treks. And then she leads him back to her place and says, welcome back to my place. It's a good place to be together. And Kirk says, together is good. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. We cover every facet of Star Trek on our family of shows, and you can find them pretty much anywhere that you get your podcasts, whether that's in iTunes, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, BlackBerry, Swell, we're on SoundCloud, we're all over the place and you can go to our website and go to the show page and you can stream from there as well and you can even get the RSS link if you have a favorite podcasting application that you want to drop that into manually. And if you're listening on iTunes and you're a new listener, we would like to welcome you to the show and we would like to say thank you to Apple. For featuring the network in the iTunes store this week, all week long, the network is featured on the front page of the podcast section. All of our shows are there and we're glad that you have found us and we hope you'll stick with us and check out all the other shows that we have to offer here on the network. Now, if you'd like to leave feedback on the discussion today, we would love to hear from you. There are a number of ways that you can do that. You can go, as we mentioned in news, to Twitter or Facebook. Our username on Twitter is trekfm. On Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash trekfm. We're also on G+. We have a community there. Just search Google Plus Communities for trek.fm and you'll find us. We also have forums on our website, trek.fm slash forums. We have a contact form, trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and choose the ready room and that will come to us by email. And, Shar, if people want to talk to you about Voyager, Star Trek, Death Wish, or anything else, where should they go?
2: Well, first and foremost, they should go to our podcast on Voyager that I co-host with the wonderful, lovely, international sex symbol, Tristan Riddell himself. He He is the ISS. He is, but he's not just pretty to look at. He's got some brains, and we have great discussions about all things Voyager every Thursday, so check that out. And then you can also chat me up on the Twitter, and my handle is O oh, The Profanity.
0: Excellent. Did you just talk about the show without yelling To The Journey?
2: <gasps> oh my God. I think that might be
0: a first.
2: Well, I did it a- a- earlier.
0: We did it earlier, though, maybe. I don't know. It's there, <laughs> but To The Journey is the name of the show, everyone. All about Voyager, every Thursday here on the network. Well, if you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com/slash C Brian Jones, and I have my website at cbrianjones.com. Elsewhere on the network, I do a lot of shows, so a quick rundown with Matthew Rushing, I do the Orb, which is all about Deep Space Nine. Matthew and I do literary treks together about Star Trek books and comics, and we interview authors. There's also Warp 5 about Enterprise continuing mission where I interview the people who create Star Trek fan films and fan series and also who develop games. And there's Matter Stream, which is about the world inspired by Star Trek, and our daily news show hyper channel, where I share some Star Trek stories with you every day for like ten to fifteen minutes. So catch those if you want to get more Star Trek talk and find out what I'm talking about. Woo Also, I'd like to remind everyone about our reviews promotion, which we talked about in news today. Just leave us a review on iTunes and or Stitcher between now and July 31st, then go to trek.afilm slash review, and then fill out the form there to let us know that you left the review and give us your information so we can get back in touch with you. And you can win those great prizes from us. A season of Star Trek on Blu-ray or DVD, Star Trek novels, Starship Collection, Ship from Japan some of our alien artwork badges and possibly more stuff as time goes on. Again, just leave us a review on iTunes and or on Stitcher and visit truck.afilm slash review for that. We'd also like to remind you about our sponsors for today's show. First there's Audible, the best source for audio books that you'll find anywhere. You can get Peter David's Q Squared absolutely free or any other book you want free, just for trying Audible as a Trek FM listener, just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. You get to keep that book if you decide not to stick with Audible so there's nothing to lose, but it really does help us out. Again, audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for their support of the show. And also Trek Fan, an amazing Star Trek fan club that really is a challenge, lets you take your love for Star Trek and put it into action through things like their flight operations and engineering and communications qualifications programs, Starfleet Academy, where you get a free novel, review it, pass it along to a friend. Lots of things for you to do there. Again, that's at fm.trekfan.org. Go check it out. Great place for you to expand on your love for Star Trek. And we really thank them for their support of the show. Again, fm.trekfan.org. Be sure to use that special URL so they know that you heard about it here on the Ready Room and the Network. Well, short I think I'm gonna wander off and finish decorating that Christmas tree because I really couldn't tell from the camera angle if all the ornaments were in place.
2: Mm, even with that wide angle, you just yeah, it looked yeah, very incomplete. That's a good idea. I think it's time to stick some no-gatch hemlock in it, because this ready room is done.